Joining us on the phone right now is a former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster, Ken Singleton. Singy, how are you today? Greg, how are you? Good I'm, morning. I'm doing well. And, you know, we got to start it off right off the bat, and that's uh, the fact that a few weeks ago a story emerged that uh, announcing your retirement from broadcasting. Now, this is a uh, the better part of six decades, Ken, for you. What made you decide that you would step away from uh, the game in terms of broadcasting it for the Yankees? Well, there's a number of things, Craig, to be honest with you. You're right. I've been, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I've been in the major leagues and broadcasting that close to 40 years now, well over 40 years. So uh, I just felt uh, my daughter's graduating from Penn State this spring, and I thought it was time for me to graduate as well. There's, there's a lot of things that I wanted to do in the summer that uh, basically in the past I haven't been able to do. Uh, you know, we have grandchildren now, and I want to hang out with them and we'll watch my grandson play ball and uh, help him learn this great game and just, just various things like that. I, I think another thing that uh, kind of solidified my thoughts about this, I kind of came to the conclusion during the winter that uh, my wife and I have been down here in Florida. We have a home down here since uh, third week of January, and we've been doing so many things, outdoor things, going to festivals and, you know, just walking on the beach and things like that. And these are things, Craig, that uh, you know I haven't been able to do over the years, and I really enjoy them. So um, I felt it was time, uh, after being with the Yankees for uh, 22 years now, this is my 22nd year with them, uh, I just felt it was time to, to uh, you know, I told my boss that this was going to be it. Um, some people, the Yankee fans were kind of upset when I made the announcement <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, a lot of them, uh, uh, of course, have uh, said some very nice things about me. Uh, they they all want me to come back or change my mind, but uh, I've I've always told myself too that uh, I wasn't going to be in the booth forever. Uh, I've I've seen broadcasters and I think you've seen it too, uh, guys that stay too long mm-hmm. and they they just not uh, what they were during their heyday. So I thought that uh, that was never going to be me, and now I'm going to get out and you know Fourth of July you might see me in Ocean City. You know Fourth of July you might see me. Uh, on a golf course somewhere. If you think it's me, you might be right. So that's that, who knows? This, this is starting next year, of course, not this year. And that's a good thing. And, I, and I'll tell you what, you, you said something very interesting in that, and, and that is that, you know, fans were kind of upset with you, to find, or not with you, but the, to, to, uh-huh. on, on your decision. Uh, and, and immediately, and, and I say that because down here in Baltimore, a lot of fans on talk shows and things of that nature were saying, well, maybe he'll come back to Baltimore <laughs> and do some <laughs> broadcasting. But I guess that's out the window, right? <laughs> no, that's that's not going to happen. I think this is a long time ago. Uh, I'll be around Baltimore because that's, uh, that's where our main home is. But uh, uh, we'll be splitting time between uh, Maryland and, uh, and Florida. So well, uh, if they see me on golf courses around Baltimore, it would probably be me. Well, <laughs> a, a, a career that had you with the Mets and the Expos. And, uh, of course, I cover both teams in this area. I cover the Orioles, mm-hmm. obviously, and I also cover the Nationals. And the Nationals coming from Montreal. Uh, you played up there. Uh, so so can you give us a little bit of a, maybe a, a feeling for what the fan base was like up in Montreal? Uh, because, obviously, Frank managed them. Uh, and mm-hmm. brought them to D.C., and we always heard about the emotion of the fans and things of that nature when they found out they were losing their club. 
Yeah, that's true. But I, you know, I think you would agree that every city kind of feels that way when they they see a team leave. Yeah. You know, I, I lived in Baltimore when the Colts left, and how how upset were the Colts fans? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's the same sort of thing. But there are things that lead up to that that make that team move. And in Montreal, it was uh, uh, a combination of things. They just didn't have the uh, financial wherewithal. Every spring became the spring training, and you knew which players weren't going to be back the next year because they couldn't afford them. Um, they needed a new stadium, a new venue. Um, this is all very interesting because now you get the feeling that they might get another shot at it, and mm-hmm. maybe not in the too distant future. Uh, they have some people up there with some deep pockets. They already have a place where they will put a new stadium. They can play in the old one until the new stadium is built. Uh, they're, they're, I get a feeling if certain things don't work out in areas, uh, well, I think Oakland's a little further along than Tampa Bay. But if the things don't work out in Tampa Bay, and I see a lot of similarities here in Tampa Bay as to what happened in Montreal. So I'd, uh, so I'd, it, there's, that possibility remains that the Tampa Bay might be moving one day. Although I will say this about this particular area, this is where I am now in the Tampa Bay area, that their TV and radio ratings are, are pretty good among the best mm-hmm. in baseball. It's just that they don't get the financial backing from the uh, community, and they don't have the stadium they play in is, is not really a major league stadium, if you ask me. Right, kind of a mausoleum, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anybody, anybody that's been down there knows that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when obviously. Fans in our area remember you uh, from all the good teams that you played a part uh-huh. of. But, you know, the other thing I think you were very fortunate as a player, you had a chance to play with Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken. And those two always talk about their relationship and how close they were. Mm-hmm. But, but you had, and, and Cal always credits Eddie for teaching him the game and what it was like to post up all the time. What do you remember most about playing with those two? Uh, well, I, I think it's sort of an Oriole tradition, and I, I, I go back to when I joined the team, and Brooks Robinson was the, was the man. Uh huh. And he kind of passed that down to the next generation of Orioles who were going to lead the team. And then uh, Cal uh, was taught the same thing by Eddie. So I I think that um, to me they're, they're well, of course they're Hall of Famers. Yeah. But you could almost see that they were on that path. When they both started out, Eddie came a little earlier in 77 and, and the Cal came along in 82. Now they were both rookies of the year. Cal went on to be the MVP the next year. I think Eddie at one time had the most votes for MVP without winning the award. <laughs> so uh, it's unfortunate he never won it because he deserved it. But uh, they're, they're, these, these were two players that right away you could see were well-schooled, they knew what they were doing, and when they made mistakes, they didn't make them again. And it kind of fed off of each other. That year we won the World Series in 83, uh, those were the two main players in the league. Uh, I know that uh, Cal won the MVP that year. Uh, Eddie might have been second or third. I think he might have been second. But uh, uh, they, they both, if you ask me, they both kind of deserved it. If it would have been a tie, uh, I, I wouldn't argue with it. Yeah, and, and of course, 82 82- where you, li- you lose that last series yeah. against the the Brewers and Harvey's walls and Harvey Wallbangers, and then then the next year, you know Earl retires or, or steps away from the game for a couple of years, and then Joe Aldebelli takes over, and that team was basically kind of Earl's team. But you guys kind of knew after you lost that <laughs> series against the Brewers 
that there was nothing going to stop you in, 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 in 83. Yeah, and it's been my experience over the years that when a team comes really close, that they're very uh, difficult to deal with the next year. Uh, we lost that last game. Uh, I can't tell you the disappointment I had after that. That still remains, well, either that or losing the seventh game of the World Series to the Pirates. So those two games are the most disappointing that I've ever played in in my career. Of course, uh, the next year, you're right. I thought in 83 we had more injuries to deal with and uh, just problems on the team uh, through injuries and uh, guys out for a certain amount of time. But we were much more determined the next year, and nothing was going to stop us. And uh, after we won, I think we realized as a group, we were going to be an older team then outside of uh, Cal and Eddie, that uh, this was our last chance to do it. And uh, we finally put it over the top. And uh, the next year was my very last year of playing. And then the next year after that, I was in the broadcast booth, and, you know, this year is going to be my last. So I've been around baseball for a long time. Yeah, and uh, we're all better off for it, to to tell you the truth. Thank you. And I got to tell you, you know, when you turn around, you think about winning that thing in 83, and then the following year, uh, the Tigers get off to a 35 and 5 start. Oh. That that did that have any any uh push for you to retire after that year? <laughs> no, well, it was, first of all, uh, 84 is my worst year. It was the only year I ever spent on the disabled list. Mm-hmm. I spent some time on the DL, and I just felt that uh, you know, I was slowing down. My bat speed wasn't quite as it was. Uh I was fouling pitches off that I used to hit, and I you know, I always told myself that uh, I wasn't going to stick around. I had some opportunities to go to spring training the next year. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to screw up all the good things that I had done on the field. And in a way, this is a retirement from broadcasting is the same way. Uh, I know I can still go. I, I can still do the job. But uh, there's things that are pulling me in the opposite direction that are very strong. And um, uh, I'm, once I step away, my last game is going to be in Boston. This year, the Yankees closed the season in Boston, and it's kind of ironic because the last series I was in an Oriole uniform was in Boston. Yeah. So uh, that's that's kind of strange how things work out. But uh, just from that, a, last, uh, game, that last game in Boston, I'll be ready to walk away. Just from a player's perspective, how uh-huh. how tough is a, is that decision to make? Well, like you said, now from a broadcasting standpoint – and and you're in a different time in your life. You've got family uh-huh. and and grandkids that you want to you want you want to hang out with. But from mm-hmm. a player standpoint, there's not many players that don't feel like they still can't get it done. What tells you this is it? I'm done. Uh, I think that uh, number one, baseball players have a competitive nature. They they play this game almost every day, so you can be home a winner or a loser every day and. Fortunately for me, I was on teams like you mentioned in Baltimore. The 10 years I was, we won more games than any other team. And to me, once I felt that I wasn't able to live up to the competitive nature I had before or put the numbers up that I, I could before, I wasn't going to stick around and hit 220 or 230 for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and just feel like I was taking somebody's money. To me, I wanted to earn it. You know, I. I was a 282 career hitter. I was on base 38%, 39% of the time in career. So that's that's the type of player I wanted to be. I wanted to be somebody who was a factor, a guy who was a tough out when he came to the plate. Uh, and those things were kind of dwindling away. So I, I just told myself, no, nah, if it's not you, 
it's, you're going to be somebody else, and I don't want to be somebody else. I want to be Ken Singleton that the opponents, when I come up there, they look over and say, oh, we got some trouble brewing here. So I, And that was uh, kind of dissip- dissipating. So it, I told myself, let's do something else. Fortunately for me, the very next year, um, I was hired to do baseball games for Montreal and Toronto, and I was there for 12 years before going to the Yankees for the last 22. We're talking with Ken Singleton, former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster who is uh, retiring after uh, this season is over, uh, hanging up the microphone. And, uh, Kenny, i got to ask you something. You were in Montreal, but <laughs> way way before uh, the, the, the strike, uh, you know, in 94. Uh, yeah. Now, now, that's a team – that many feel could have won the World Series. Vlad Guerrero and, and all the stars that were on that team. And, mm-hmm. it, and it never came to fruition because the World Series got canceled. So that strike really kind of hurt the people in Montreal. But I, I go back to the strike that you were involved in in, in 81. But, yeah. then, but then you come off that strike, and the first game is the All-Star game in Cleveland. There's a packed house at Municipal Stadium. You hit a home run, wind up getting the MVP of that all-star game. What are your recollections of that and how that all unfolded and, and baseball coming back after the fans were obviously upset? Yeah, well, that particular year, Craig, I got off to a fantastic start. Usually I was a slow starter, but really started as the weather warmed up. So did I, but this year I, maybe the weather was a little warmer earlier in the year, but for April, I hit 472 in April with seven home runs. So I, <laughs> I was off to a great start, but the storm clouds were brewing as far as the strike was concerned. And eventually they, the strike did come, and we missed 52 days in the regular season. And, and to me, once we, we struck, I thought, we're not playing anymore this year. Uh-huh. But we did come back, uh, did get to the All-Star game. Uh, one thing I can correct you on, know, Gary Carter was the MVP that year. In the, in the oh, that, that's game. right, Gary Carter. Right, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I could have been, but it's kind of a funny story because they did hit the home run. Uh, we were winning uh, late in the ball game. I kept my uniform on because I thought I had a chance to be the MVP and I might be interviewed after the game. <laughs> so uh, I, I kept my uni on. Uh, I went out to – I was in the clubhouse, and I went out to the dugout, and as soon as I put my foot in the dugout, Mike Schmidt hit a home run off Raleigh Fingers and nationally took the lead. Yeah. I turned around. It was about the seventh or eighth inning. I turned right around, went back to the clubhouse, took my uniform off. And Gary Carter hit another home run, and he he uh, he got the MVP of that uh, All Star game. But it was it was a great experience. All the All Star games are. Um, I, I will say this, uh, as it relates to '94 in Montreal, and, and you brought it up. Once that strike hit in '94, that was the uh, death knell for baseball in Montreal. It, it started to go downhill from that point on mm-hmm. because the fans up there thought that it was some sort of conspiracy to not let them get in the World Series. And it appeared as though they were going to play the Yankees that year, which would, in their eyes would have been the ultimate. But uh, unfortunately, it never happened. World Series was canceled. Uh, fans decided in Montreal not to get the ball game from that, stand, from that point on. Uh, the players started to leave uh, because the team couldn't afford them anymore. Uh, great players like Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom, uh, Delano Shields, Moises Alou, uh these these were fantastic players, and that, they were having a great. I think they had about a six-game lead in August on the Atlanta Braves, uh, who everybody knows how to brave, how good they were in the nineties. 
So that expo team was really put together. Really put together. Uh, Kenny, Mm -hmm. our last uh, remaining moments with Ken Singleton, uh, when you think about the – your career as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, when I remember how great a hitter you were with the Orioles because I was mm-hmm. a fan back then. Uh, but but in terms of your overall career, uh, most satisfying moment was it was it was it eighty three in that World Series? Uh, yeah, I played fifteen years, and we we I was only on one team that won the World Series, and that's that's why you go out there. Uh, I wish they had had a wild card situation back then <laughs> because I was on Oriole teams in the 10 years I was there. We won the, we won the division twice, but we finished second six times. And you won a hundred yeah. games once and finished second. Yeah. 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 We won a hundred games in 1980 and went home. Yeah. Uh, to me, if there had been a wild card and we would have won more championships, if there had been a wild card situation in those days. Uh, now, I will admit now, it's a little tougher to, to get to the World Series and win it because there's more layers of playoffs. But still, I wish we'd had the opportunity. Um, I guess winning in 83 is great. I, I will say this. Uh, something that will always live in me, Craig, is that the fans of Baltimore treated me and my family so well. That's one reason why I still maintain a residence there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cannot ever remember in the 10 years I was there, being booed by the home fans. Now, on the road, you expect it, and it kind of gives you incentive to shut those people up. But the cheers are the incentive that you get at home to do well. And uh, there were plenty of those. And maybe it was because we had such good teams, and we did. Um, maybe it's uh, the reason why you know, players like Bumbury and I uh, still live in the area. Tim Tippy Martinez still live in the area because it's – uh, it's great, although I will say I'm getting tired of wintertime, and that's why I'm in Florida, <laughs> Most, you know, starting in January. But, but still, the people were were fantastic. Oh, Oriole I- fans are, are tremendous fans. I kind of wish them the best, uh, although since I've been with the Yankees, it's hard to do um, uh, because my job's easier when the Yankees win. Well, I got to fu- – you know, it's funny because Stan the Fan is now down in Sarasota with the Orioles for a couple of days. Uh-huh. And I told him, I said, here we are in Baltimore, and, and you're getting to be in the middle to late March, and we're expecting snow the next uh, two oh, days no, or so. Yeah, that. absolutely. But uh, I got a last thing, and then, you know, Earl Weaver, obviously the mm-hmm. Earl of Baltimore, playing for him, you know, Davy Johnson, uh, who, who obviously managed the Orioles in the mid-'90s and then managed the Nationals, and also uh, – you, you think about what he says about Earl in terms of way ahead of his time, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of guys who say that Earl Weaver was way ahead of this saber matrix stuff way, you know, long before uh, it became, yeah. it became the thing in major league baseball. Uh, just recollections of Earl, how he managed the game and how good was he? Um, the best manager I ever played for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be very, very tough. I think fans knew that. He was very demanding of his players. He would embarrass you in front of the whole team if you made a glare, if you made mistakes. Uh, and that was one reason you played so hard. You, you, he made you focus. Uh, you're right about the Saber metrics. Uh, my first year, uh, two days into the training, he called me into the office 
And I figured, geez, I'm in trouble already. I just got here two days ago. <laughs> and he told me I was going to lead off. And I had never let off any in the minor leagues or up to the time in the major leagues. I'd already had a year in Montreal where I drove 100 runs and scored 100 runs. But he said it was because I walk a lot and I want you to be just get on base. Uh-huh. He says, you walk a lot, Bobby Gritch walks a lot. You'll bat first, Bobby Gritch will bat second. I walked 118 times that year, uh, still the team record. Gritch walked 107. My very first time up in the American League, we were in Detroit, opening day. It was freezing. I walked on four pitches. I went to third on a base hit and scored on Lee May's first at bat. He had a three-run homer in the American League. When I got back to the dugout, um, as I'm, I've scored the first run of the season, and I'm walking past Earl to sit on the bench, and he looked at me and said, I can't tell you exactly what he said, but he said, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Just that's right. Get on base. And, uh, you know, I, I was on base over 40% of the time that year. So uh, I, t- I tried to do my job. Eventually, uh, Bumbry started to come on as a leadoff, and he had, a little, you know, a lot of speed, a lot, certainly a lot more than I did. And um, he became the leadoff hitter, and then they dropped me down in the lineup where I could drive in more runs. Right. But uh, uh, that's how Earl was ahead of the, ahead of the game, and certainly well deserved that he, he's in the Hall of Fame. The last time I ever talked to Earl um, was at Eddie Murray's uh, statue unveiling, uh-huh. and it was just he and I. And uh, he looked at me and said, uh, "Singing, you you had a fantastic career." And, he, and then he said, remember, Earl doesn't hand out compliments. Very no, often. no. And, and he said, thanks for playing hard for me. And it really kind of threw me back a little bit. But then I, I told him, I said, look, Earl, uh, uh, you made me a better player. Um, I played hard so you wouldn't yell at me. And he started laughing. And I, I did, too. So that, that was sort of a moment that we had. And, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, he passed away. And... Um, but, you know, he's a legend in Baltimore and should be. Winning percentage is up there among the greatest of all managers. And, I, and I'm sure just hearing that from him probably yeah. in your own mind solidifies everything you did as a player. Well, I tried. You know, I was trying. I, I think that it was, I was blessed to be on teams with, uh, you know, future Hall of Famers and, and Jim Palmer and Brooks and Eddie and Cal. But – the rest of the players on the teams that I played with were all very good players. They were all smart. We didn't make many mistakes. We knew Earl wouldn't tolerate them, and it would set them off. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we tried to play as well as we could on a daily basis. We had good, excellent pitchers. Uh, we get starting with Palmer and McGregor and Flanagan and Dennis Martinez, Mike Boddicker, pitchers like that. Um, you know, then Tiffy Martinez, Don Stanhouse. You know, Ross Grimsley, these are all very good major league pitchers. And when you start the game and the pitcher you have on the mound is as good or better than the other team, uh-huh. during the course of the season, the other the league can't stay with you. It's hard for them to keep up with you because your pitching is that good. You know, uh-huh. you don't have to score six, seven runs a game to win. You know, three might do it, maybe four. And that, that's, that's the way we were. Earl loved his home runs. Uh, we hit it. We hit quite a few, not the way they do now, but uh, we we did hit our share. And that uh, you know the defense was always good because he wouldn't tolerate poor play on defense. Uh, so that that was 
that was our, our hallmark and our trademark. That, that's how we got things done. And, uh, you know, in a way, I kind of wish the Orioles would get back to that sort of thing now, but they just don't have the pitchers. Yeah, I think we all do. Kenny Singleton, uh-huh. uh, former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster, calling it a career after this year with the Yanks up in the booth. Thanks so much for the time uh, today. It was a real great pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Craig. It was my pleasure. All right. Ken Singleton, everybody.